Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you here, and uh, it's awesome just to be together enjoying this, this wonderful weather. And if you didn't get a chance to come to Sunday morning class, we have uh, we had a little discussion about our budget and so if you would like to know more about that, there's a paper in the foyer that you can pick up and get a chance to look at that. I wanted everybody have a chance, and, and my office is open, or any of the elders' uh, cell phones are open, if you'd like to talk about that at all. So um, we've been doing a series, we started a series last week on prayer, and uh, we're going to move into the next part of that. One time, Jordan Hubbard, who uh, is a friend of mine, when I was in about eighth grade, and he was a minister at Belton, I remember him asking me, I think, I think maybe uh, he, had, he wanted to maybe poll and see how many teenagers or young people knew what the Lord's Prayer was. I'm not sure why he asked him, but he came up to me and he said, do you know what the Lord's Prayer is? And I said, um, I'm not sure. And he said, it's, it starts with our Father. And I said, oh, yeah, the football prayer. <laughs> and uh, it, it got me thinking, today we're going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer. And I, something I was thinking about today, I texted my mom, one of her best friends from Belton, her husband, Dave Simmons, was my seventh grade football coach. And uh, I remember at, you know, before one of our first games, him being like, all right, everybody, let's say the Lord's Prayer. And all of us being like, you know, uh, what's that? And he said, come on, y'all know. And we didn't. And he said, you know, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and so on. And I remember thinking as I was preparing for this sermon, how cool is it that, and I don't know about y'all, for those of you who play sports, play football, I have never played football without saying the Lord's Prayer before the game. Now, that's, that's another discussion we can talk about another time. But uh, I, uh, I think it's cool to think the number of young people around, at least in Belton, probably around our country, who know the Lord's Prayer because they have a football coach say, this is how you do it. It's pretty, pretty cool to think about. So... I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you're in school and you're, it's the last week of school and your professor says, for the final, you need to write a paper. All right, y'all have a great rest of your week and then, and then you have to leave the class. He just says, all right, for your final, you need to write a paper, uh, you know, take care. What's the first thing you would probably do, especially if you were wired like me or you were wired like Laura Cosper? You'd be like, uh, I need some more details here. When is this paper due? How many pages? What's the topic? Is it a paper on this or that? You, you would want those kind of guidelines. Now, some of you might be sitting there going, this is going to be great. They didn't give me any guidelines. I'm just going to write down, my name is Colton, and submit that thing, and hey, you know, you, you can't judge me for that. You just said write a paper. I did. Um, but knowing me, I would probably turn in like a 72-page paper on everything, economics, philosophy, whatever. I don't know what you wanted, so here's everything. But... I also want you to imagine, uh, you, let's say your spouse walks into the bathroom, you're getting ready in the morning and says, I want you to think of something creative for me. I want you to picture that. Your spouse comes in, I, just want, I want you to think of something creative for me, and then walks out. You'd probably be thinking, creative what? What do you mean? What are we talking about? Is this, you want something creative for breakfast, like crazy pancakes or something? Or, or are you talking like for your birthday, next birthday? Uh, is this a gift, a trip, something? <laughs> I need some guidelines here. And so I think all of us, those are two kind of weird examples, but all of us 
with just about anything, we appreciate a level of frameworks. Now, for some of you in here, you're like, nope, I'd be fine with no frameworks. Uh, but for me, I'm someone that needs guardrails. I need some kind of scaffolding to help you figure out certain complicated things. And as we've discussed already, this series on prayer, we're going to find over and over that every time we find ourselves thinking, you know, prayer is such a beautiful, simple thing, we also are going to have moments where we're thinking, man, this is complicated. This is complex. God, I'd really love to have some a framework for this. And I believe this is what we have here with the Lord's Prayer that, Matthew, that Jesus has in Matthew 6. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6, I hope that we can see today that Jesus is offering us this, I'm going to use this word a lot, this crucial framework for how to pray. I do not think that when Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 6, this prayer, that he meant for the rest of time, nobody to ever pray with any other words besides these words. I don't think that's what he meant to do. You can even see that in the Gospels. Luke repeats this same prayer, but it's a little different. Luke doesn't include all the things Matthew does. Is that because Luke didn't hear Jesus right and Matthew did? Or Matthew heard it wrong and Jesus? No, it's because they could tell from the way Jesus told them that Jesus was giving them a framework. And so what I'm going to do today is, if you want to talk about every little detail about this prayer, because I thought about this all week, that I could probably do an entire sermon series on this prayer. I could probably do seven or eight sermons just on this prayer. I'm not going to. But come to Wednesday night class and let's talk more about the details. But what I'm going to try and do today is I'm going to try and get as kind of a, get as much of a forest view as possible of the framework that we're getting here from Jesus so that we can apply that same framework to our prayer life. So if you want to follow along your Bibles or on the screen, this is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay, so let's... I have five things that I picked to be frameworks. I would totally agree with you if you wanted to say... Actually, I think there's really two frameworks that Jesus is giving. Okay, if you wanted to say, I think there's eight frameworks that Jesus is giving, that's fine. I picked five, so we're going to talk about five. Okay, so the first one, and this one is one that many would say is probably the crux of the Lord's Prayer, um, is this. The, the idea that when we pray to God, we call God our Father. No amount of talking I could do today, no amount of... Uh, illustrations could get us to comprehend the magnitude of what it means that Jesus tells us to pray to the Lord of the universe as a father. I just don't think you can imagine how much the people back then did not consider deities to be their dads. And yet Jesus tells us and invites all of us and says, when you approach God, you approach God like approaching a father. Now I recognize, I totally understand, for some of you, if you did not have a good relationship with your dad, this is not helpful. I can't, I'm sorry for that. By the way, for those of you who are dads now in the room, you have an opportunity that whenever someone tells your children and your grandchildren, Pray to God like a father. They think positively about that, not negatively. You get to determine a lot about that, okay? So there's a line in Matthew 7 where later Jesus says, Which of you, I think I have it up here, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? 
If you then, though you are evil, I don't love that line. I, I think I'd prefer to say, if you then, though you are broken or not perfect or whatever, but Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? And I, I want you to really think about this idea of if we who are imperfect people understand the concept that, and this is, I'll, I'll talk about it from the standpoint of my dad, and hopefully this is something that I do for my children, but I have not spent one millisecond of my life ever wondering if my dad did not have my best interests at heart. Now, like I said, some of you did not have good dads, and you don't get to think that way. But I know for those of us who did have fathers that loved us, I spent every second of my existence trusting and believing that my dad was doing something because he had my best interest as his son, okay? With that in mind, this is our first framework. Our first framework is when we approach God, are we talking to him, trusting that he is a good father for us? And that's something that's very, I, I think that's something that's difficult, but it's something that I, I think is a, a refreshing thing. It's something that um, should hopefully give us encouragement that when I come to God and I approach Him, Jesus, Jesus says, in, or Paul says in Romans, we cry out, Abba, Father. We get to call, we get to say Dad to Him. And there's a certain comfort for me because in the same way that I approach my dad, when I've done something wrong, I come with some fear and some trembling, but I also come knowing that he's the one that's inevitably going to say, Drew, you messed up, I still love you. I know whenever I have a celebration and I come before my dad, my dad wants to celebrate with me. When I come to my dad with a sadness, he wants to weep with me. Coming to your dad, uh, one theologian I read this week said, in his opinion, you could call the entire prayer, the Lord's Prayer, you could call it, what does it look like to pray to God as if he was your father? That's what he says. So framework one, to build your prayers around, are we speaking to God as a father? Framework number two, hallowed be your name. I love that this line, I put it like this, because some of your translations may say something else, like holy is your name, those kind of things. I love that the prayer Jesus is saying isn't, he's not declaring, God, you are holy. That's not what he's doing. He is summoning, he's invoking, he's hoping and calling on God's name to be made holy. Does that make sense? I think I've said this before in here, but the word hallelujah doesn't mean praise the Lord. It is actually a call where the, uh, the King James actually helps us a lot, where it's praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah is not praise God. Hallelujah is, hallelujah is you praise God. And part of what I see here with this hallowed be your name is Jesus is saying it's a request, it's a summons. Hey, y'all praise God. May God's character, may his reputation, may his name be held in high honor everywhere. Or as we talked about throughout Romans, may he be glorified. We see in the first half of this, of this prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see the whole first half of this prayer focus on, focuses on and starts with God. And any prayer that doesn't start with God and who he is, is always in danger of concentrating on ourselves and pretty soon, it stops being prayer altogether, and it starts to become us just listing our random thoughts and fears and longings of our mind. And so the second framework, and this is something that I've, the second framework is this. Are we making sure that our prayers begin and are rooted in Him being God and not rooted in us? 
This has actually been really challenging for me because all week as I've been preparing, if it's bedtime with the kids, if it's at dinner, if it's before class, I'm thinking, okay, Drew, it's time to pray. Try to have the first half of your prayer be about God. And I'm struggling to think of things to say. I'm like, God, you are great. God, you are God. God, I want you to be holy. And I'm like running out. But, but when it comes to the time of how to pray where it's listing out all the things I need, I could go on for hours. I don't struggle at all thinking of things to say that. So the second framework is, is, is your prayer beginning with and rooted in God and focusing on Him. And if you're like me and you're having a hard time spending very much time doing that in your prayer, maybe we need to turn to our Bibles and to the Psalms because we're going to learn and see a lot better language of what it means to just focus on God, focus on God, focus on God. All right, framework number three. This one, in my opinion, is the crux of the prayer. And it's something that you've heard is one of my soapboxes. So be prepared for a little soapbox time. Jesus says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things that you've heard me say before is sadly in church, we often have this image that our job in life is to just make it through life here and then someday God is going to evaporate us up into heaven. And I believe contrary to a lot of how we were raised, I believe that God and Jesus, the whole story of the Bible, is about God's desire for heaven to be brought here on earth as it is in heaven. It doesn't say that when Jesus decided to save the world that they brought the whole world up to heaven. No. What does it say? When it was time for God to show His love, what happened? Heaven came down and dwelt among us. And as His church, we get to be... uh, Think of if you're using a military analogy, we get to be the beachfront. We get to be the invasion of God's kingdom into our homes, into our businesses, into our neighborhoods. Jesus came and tabernacled. He dwelled. He made his dwelling among us. And we as his church get to say, God, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the role of the church? The called out ones. The word church in Greek just means those who have been called out. That's what the word church means. Our role as the church is to live as citizens of the kingdom on earth as it will be someday when all things are made made new. Uh, Eugene Peterson has a quote that I really like where he says, Paul and Jesus were less interested in getting us to heaven and more interested in getting heaven into us and into the world through us. Let me say that again. Jesus was less interested in us getting to heaven and more interested in getting heaven into the world and into us through us following him. So for me, if ever you're like, Drew, where do you get that from in scripture? Point number one is this prayer right here. I want to, this may help you. It may just be me using a funny story to try and make my point, but I think it'll help. Today I was driving in the car with Landry Joe, or not today, yesterday, driving in the car with Landry Joe. And she said to me, Dad, how do cars get made? Who made our car? And I said, well, Honda made our car. And she said, well, how? And I said, well, I think people and assembly lines you know, put it together. And I said, maybe when we get home, I can show you a YouTube video on how cars are made. She then said, Daddy, can you show me a YouTube video on how God made us? And I said, uh, no. She was like, well, uh, you could tell she was confused why there wasn't a YouTube video for that. But then this was the next question that she asked that I loved. She said, This was the next thing. Dad, whenever we're in heaven, will we come back for Sundays at church? That's what she asked. When we're in heaven, will we come back for Sundays at church? And one of the things I told her was I said, Well, Landry Joe, I believe when we're in heaven, we will be church all the time. 
We will be praising him all the time. Okay, so if our definition, I don't know about you, but when people ask you what's going to happen in heaven, when you're in heaven, some of you might say, well, I think all the things we enjoy will be going on in heaven. My brother-in-law told me at our, family, uh, our last family vacation, he said, you know, I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to be able to fish, and I'm going to get to do the things I want to do. And I also think all the things I don't want to do won't be there, so we won't have to take family pictures. And I said, <laughs> I, said well, I don't know about that. But, um, but the point is, is I believe that in heaven, in heaven we will be praising God all the time. And little kid Drew thought that meant, and I could tell, I told Landry Joe, I think we're going to be praising God all the time. And she said, what if I can't sing all day? And I said, well, the good news is, Roman tells us, Romans tells us that to truly worship God is to what? is not to sing, to truly worship God, is to offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. Your whole life should be lived as worship to God. So let me ask you a question. If in heaven, all the time, we're going to worship God with our lives, don't we have that opportunity right here and right now? You and I can make heaven a reality here on earth, and you're thinking, well, how is that going to happen? It's, you're right. It's never going to be quite like it's going to be with the new heavens and the new earth because we still live in brokenness and sickness and pain and brokenness. But you and I, every day, get the opportunity to have God's will come on earth as it is in heaven by the way we live heaven here and now. Let me, let me say it this uh, this is the last part of this that I think is so important. I believe when we pray this in our prayers, we cannot pray this without knowing that we are recruiting ourselves to become a part of it. When I say to God, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it is the same as if I said to a friend, hey, I wish we hung out more, and then you put no effort into hanging out. If I said to, if I said to Bryce, Bryce, I wish we got together more, and Bryce is the only one that reaches out to me, and I never reach out to him, is that something I really want? But if I say, God, I want your will to be done, I am calling and praying and hoping and imploring him to bring his will on earth. And I have to be willing to be someone who brings my, my effort, my desire, to see that will come to fruition also on earth as it is in heaven. So framework number three, the one Drew clearly thinks is most important. In your prayer life, we pray to God for God's will to take place on earth. And by doing this, we are enlisting ourselves in His mission. So when you pray tonight before food and you say something to God, God, I hope this happens. Ask yourself the question, am I willing to participate in that happening? If I say, God, I pray that you be with Betty Campbell and then I never talk to Betty Campbell and never go to her house, I'm not actually praying for that. But when I say, God, I'm praying for your healing, and I'm praying for me to do everything I can for Betty Campbell, we are participating in God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Number four, our daily bread. I believe when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, you're supposed to picture what happened in the Exodus where the people of God are wandering in the wilderness, and they don't know where their food's going to come from, and then God says, I'm going to give you this daily bread. It's called manna. The word uh, in Hebrew, manna, literally just means, what's that? <laughs> That's what it means. And every morning, the people of God have to trust, when I go outside, I'm going to gather the food that I need. And do you all remember what would happen if they gathered too much food? Do you all remember? They would take it into their house. They'd be like, I think I need a little bit more. And that food would spoil. And there would be some people who'd go out and they'd gather their daily bread and they wouldn't gather enough. And you know what it says happened? They always seemed to have enough. Okay? 
part of our prayer life and part of this is this is this is very simple to say, very hard to do, especially for someone like me. But this fourth framework is when I pray, can I trust that in my day, in my season that I'm in, I have been provided for what I need for that day and for that season? A hypothesis that I'm working on, I don't know the answer, but a hypothesis I have is I don't believe any of us have ever had a day in our whole life where we didn't have what we needed for that day. I believe the fact that you're sitting here is proof of that. Now, I do believe some of you could come to me and say, here's an example of a time in my day that I did not, or my year or my life, where I did not feel like I, my daily bread was provided. I believe that's um, warranted. But the thing I keep coming back to is like, when the day comes that I die, did God not give me what I needed? Did he not give me my daily bread because my heart stopped? I don't think so. I think he gave me Jesus. He gave me a way to live with him forever. I think he gave me what I needed. Does that make sense? Our daily bread is not all the desires of our heart. Our daily bread is what we needed. Like I said, it's still a hypothesis I'm working on. So when you pray, fourth framework, how are we finding a way that when I'm asking God to pray, I'm asking for just enough and trusting that he knows what enough is for the day and what enough is for that season of my life. I believe that what we celebrated at communion, I believe that what we celebrate every Sunday of Jesus' death and resurrection is our proclamation that no matter what happens to my body, I have enough. Paul would say, I can do all things. I have enough in all situations through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, fifth and final framework. This is the part in the sermon, or in the prayer, I'm going to read it again, where he says, there's only one part in the prayer where he says something that's, like a, that's predicated on us. And he says, uh, and forgive us our debts, or many of you memorize, forgive us our trespasses, as we have forgiven our debtors. That's the only place where there's a contingency, where we pray, God, I pray that you forgive me as I am good at forgiving others. Have any of you ever thought about that? How many of you, if I had started this sermon, with saying, who's really good at forgiving and who's not good, who's, who holds grudges? You'd probably be like, ah, you know, I, I hold grudges. And I'm not saying you're the worst. I'm just saying, this is kind of challenging for me to read this and not realize, man, I better be, I better be careful when I say this prayer. Because if I pray to God, forgive me as I forgive others, and I'm bad at forgiving others, then God's telling me that, uh, here's what I'm, I think he's saying. I think he's not going, all right, y'all, here's the secret. If you want me to forgive you, you better go forgive those other people. Because then what's happening? You're still just forgiving other people only so that you can get God's forgiveness. It's like a, it's like a, consumer relationship. Okay, God, I guess if you're, if you won't forgive me, like when we, you know, when you tell your kids, go forgive them. No. Okay. Well, you're not getting chocolate milk. Okay. I'll go forgive them. You know, they don't care about forgiving them. They just care about what they get out of it. But what God is saying is the same heart that cannot let go of things for others is not the same, is the same person who won't be able to receive the forgiveness from God. A closed fist to forgiveness won't be able to receive what God is trying to give them as far as forgiveness. But here's the, the part that I think is so important. We get this, we have this beautiful prayer and then it ends with this very intense, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. That's intense. And what I think we see, it's something that Jesus says and shows throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, throughout the prophets, prophets, all of this. If we are people who say that Jesus 
Jesus is always in the business of saying that your relationship with God is utterly intertwined and connected with how you treat people. And how you treat people and love people is utterly connected with how you view God. You cannot say, as John would say, you cannot say, I love God, and then be cruel to your neighbors. It's impossible. You cannot be loving to your neighbors and not, as a result, have it be from an outpouring of, it's because I know that they're in the image of God. It's because my God tells me that the way I treat Him and the way I treat each other is intertwined. I heard a preacher say one time, if you have your relationship with God... And your relationship with, he held up a stick. He said, if you have a relationship with God and a relationship with people, you get a cross. If you just have your relationship with God, you just have a stick. That's what he said. <laughs> and I think we're supposed to see throughout that when we're praying, how can we be people that as we pray to God, we see the way it is ultimately interconnected. So this is framework number five. How can we make sure that as we're praying to God, we see the way it's interconnected with how we're treating each other? So let me conclude with this reminder. So here are the, here are the frameworks. When you pray this week, try and add this to your tool belt. One, we approach God as a loving father. How do I start my prayer knowing, God, I'm praying to you as a dad, as a father? Next, second framework. How do we make sure that the beginning and the, the root of our prayer is focusing on God and who he is? Three, is my prayer asking for God's will to take place in my life? Not what I want, but God's will. And am I willing to participate with God in seeing His will come to fruition? Four, do I trust my God to provide my daily bread? Am I saying things in my prayer that indicate in my heart, God, I'm going to trust you with this? And fifth, as I pray for God to intervene in my life, to intercede, to forgive, to bless, to heal, am I working to bless, to forgive, to heal, to intercede in the lives of the people that I come in contact with? That fifth part is something that doesn't make a ton of sense because we often think prayer is just between us and God. But Jesus is showing us it's not. Your prayer life with God is impacted by how you're treating your neighbors. So the last thing I want to say, one of the, most, the coolest things about this prayer for me is picturing Jesus praying this. I want you to picture Jesus saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, may your name be holy. And he lived that. He came to make God's name be holy. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is literally Jesus' life purpose was to come and have God's kingdom be made manifest here on earth. God, give me today my daily bread. Jesus prayed this. He was a wanderer. He, he didn't have a house. You know, the Son of Man won't have a place to lay his head. But he knew that God would provide his daily needs. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive me my sins as I forgive others when they sin against me. What does he say on the cross? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then lastly, it says, lead me not into temptation. Jesus was led into temptation. We are all going to be led into temptation. But he prays, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we see throughout all this, we see, in my opinion, the two big words. If, if you made me turn this into a two framework for your prayers instead of five, I would say, is my prayer constantly saturated with a trusting in God and in my participation 
to call and ask for him and to join in with him. So if any of you would like to learn more about what it means to trust God, what it means to participate with God, we want to continue to be a church in a place where as we gather and as we talk, we learn more and more about trusting God and participating in his kingdom. And elders, they're going to be at the doors. If you would like anyone to be, join you in praying and helping you learn more about prayer or praying for something you're going through right now, they'll be at the doors while we stand and sing this song.